Hello and welcome back to Holy Habits, a podcast from St. John's Lafayette Square, now journeying through Lent. In these conversations, we explore the disciplines we need to live our faith here and now. This is an exploration into the shape of a life well-lived, that is, a life oriented to receiving the gift of belonging in God's life. Today I'm here with Shanta Bahan, the Associate for Mission and Outreach at St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Dallas, Texas. She's here to talk with us about a practice very important during Lent, the practice of fasting. Hi Shanta, welcome. Thank you so much, Savannah. I'm so happy to be here. As we get started, I wonder if you would share an image of God that resonates most with you right now. Certainly, as I think about what's happening in Dallas, Texas at the moment, and the fact that people are managing burst water pipes, Mm. um, and they're also dealing with some housing and flooding issues, Mm. but there are also water shortages. I am thinking about what it means for God, specifically Jesus, to be our living water. Jesus as our living water. That's a powerful image, especially given where you are and and everything that's happening right around you. Um, So what practice have you come to talk to us about? Uh, Just give give us a little introduction to fasting. Sure. So when I think about fasting, I think about the ways I was reared understanding it that it was about abstinence. It was about giving something up. Mm-hmm. I think when we think about Lent, we think about the ways that people choose to give up chocolate or meat or sugar. But I learned a little bit more about that, that there might be three different ways of fasting. Abstinent fasts, where we give up something. Replacement fasts, where we trade one thing for another. And supplement or complement fasts, where we might add something to our spiritual practice. During the season of Lent, I know that we're not supposed to be talking about our acts of piety in front of other people. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's, irony here. That's the explicit warning that we <laughs> read on Ash Wednesday. Yes, and then there's the irony of placing the ashes in our forehead and going about our day. Is that really a reminder for us or a reminder for other people? So in the same way, when I think about this practice of fasting and the ways in which God has changed my perspective, I think that I I try to incorporate these three different types of fasts and not just focus on what I'm giving up because there's a way in which giving something up causes me to feel Mm self-righteous. I feel very proud of myself. I feel as if I've accomplished something and the focus is really on me. And I think that when I think about the replacement fast, that's actually much more difficult. I was thinking about it as I was approaching Lent and I thought, oh my goodness, this seems so much more difficult for me to pursue the idea that I might trade an unkind thought, word, or action for one that is kind, or that I might choose to wake up an hour early to pray the morning prayer, to pray morning prayer, or the daily office. 
Uh, you know, in some ways that feels more challenging. The whole idea that I would change my thoughts, words, or actions, because people can't see that. I can't really talk about that in the same way. That's mm-hmm. more about an internal change. Hmm. And that seems more difficult in some ways, this internal deep change, um, this replacement of uh, thoughts or of sleep or time or anything else. Um, There's a different kind of depth to that when I hear you talking about it. Yeah, there really is because that's about creating space for God to do some work within me. Mm -hmm. And then when I think about the concept of a supplement slash complement fast, I think about what it would mean to add a daily prayer, maybe a noonday prayer for a specific justice issue. One specific issue, let's say what's happening in Texas right now, uh, to pray that people will receive electricity, heat, Mm -hmm. that they'll have water, Mm -hmm. that they will have their needs met. If that were my prayer every single day at noon, then that would be an example of a supplement slash compliment fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might also include some type of act of quiet service, something that I do as a secret act that I do on behalf of another person who may be suffering or may be in need, but an act nonetheless that other people don't know about. I'm not sharing that with other people, but it's about a quiet reminder that I have a need that I have needs and that God provides for my needs. And out of that abundance, I'm now able to help another person or come alongside another person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Out of an overflowing of abundance, uh, that, that your needs are met, that, that then you can come and be beside someone else. Um, that's, that's really powerful. That kind of trust, uh, that God will will actually provide what you need, um, especially in moments when it feels like um, there, there's so, so great a need, you know, um, to trust that God will meet that. Most- there are different cues when we're even preparing a meal or when we're preparing for our day that we realize we're structuring this and we're orienting it in a certain way. Why are we doing that? How can that be a cue in and of itself of orienting ourselves toward God? Um, when we pray, we kneel, we sit, we stand. What are the ways that we're creating this posture of being focused on God in some deeper way that allows us to receive more of God's self. And we give some of ourselves over to God and to God's world and to God's creation around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, um, it really struck me when you were talking about how putting these structures um, in place, you described as a way to orient us toward God. Um, and, and a lot of these sort of structures, particularly um, I'm thinking about, you know, um, taking something away, like not watching TV um, during Lent or something like that. Um, the desire to, uh, to want that thing, like I, uh, having that cue um, actually, that discomfort um, 
tells us something. Do you know what I mean? Um, that discomfort um, is communicating something. And, and if we can use those cues, even moments of discomfort or irritation or, um, you know, whatever comes through that, that actually can orient us to receive more of God in our lives. Yes. Oh, what you're saying is so interesting. I was listening to some podcasts by some Navy SEALs the other day, and I was thinking about how they talk exactly about what you're saying, the idea that there's a discomfort. And when there's a cue for discomfort, it's an awareness that we can lean into that and that in leaning into that discomfort and recognizing and even reflecting on why this is uncomfortable, whether it's watching television or I know many people choose to take a social media fast during Lent. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which that can be uncomfortable. And as I've tried to disengage from social media, I thought a little bit about that. I thought, why is that uncomfortable? Is it because I'm not receiving affirmation from people? Is it because I'm disconnected from people right now? Is it because I'm not, uh, I'm not seeing the ways in which people see me? Um, their approval of me is not being reflected back to me. Is that about vanity? What is it about? And so even though I don't know the answer to that, leaning into that discomfort is actually helping me to learn a little bit more about myself and my attachments and what it is that controls me and the ways in which I think about things that I really take for granted every other day of my life. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's really, yeah, that's really something that, you know, these moments that, um, we give something up and, and experience missing that thing, um, that, that there's something to lean into, as you were saying, um, there's something to lean into and that discomfort. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, um, during Lent now, I'm, I mean, we, uh, sort of were thrust into, uh, an entirely new way of, um, living, you know, around this time, um, almost a year ago and in the middle of Lent last year, um, and thinking about, you know, a season of, um, fasting and penitence, um, in a time where there have been so many like involuntary fasts, it feels like, um, I wonder, if, if you are practicing any kind of fasting that um, seems to resonate or to make sense, or is, is this just a year to take it easy, um, uh, given how much is, how much is missing um, from daily interactions to um, so many people who have, who have lost people, um, people who have died and um, how does, is fast, does fasting still have, um, an important role to play, uh, even in times of, um, great suffering? 
That is such a good question. I, I feel woefully under, underprepared to answer that because I feel as if I've been thinking a lot about that myself mm-hmm. leading into Lent. Mm-hmm. And I did read an interview by Father James Martin, a Jesuit mm-hmm. priest, someone had asked him the same question and said, you know, do we really need to give something up? This has been such a difficult year. It's been a year of Lent. And he didn't really answer it. <laughs> he, he said that he actually lets his friends choose what he gives up. So he lets someone oh. <laughs> offer an objective uh, feedback, offer objective feedback on what it is huh. he gives up. And usually he asks one of his Jewish friends to choose three things for him to, to let go of, uh, which I think is interesting. And at the same time, there's a part of me in praying about this this year that just felt that I just felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me, um, what does it mean to receive more of God's grace? Hmm. What does it mean to receive more of God's grace during the season of Lent? What does it mean to accept God's grace amidst your own failings, amidst the, the challenges of this life and of this year? Because many of us actually came into the pandemic during Lent of last year. Mm-hmm. And so our ability to participate in services, to participate socially, all these things were taken away from us. And so in some ways, I thought to myself, this has got to be the Holy Spirit that's saying it. What would it mean to lean into God's grace right now? Sure, mm-hmm. is there a practice that I can incorporate that would be good for me personally? It would help me to develop some discipline in some other areas of my life where I need it? Uh, yes, of course there are. But I think that undergirding the season of Lent and asking myself and encouraging others to lean into what it means to accept more of God's grace. I feel as if that's a loving answer. There's been so much, as you said, you know, there's been so much loss for people. There's been so much that's happened just even this past week or two leading into Lent across our country, especially the Midwest and the South. And people are dealing with so much. There's Mm -hmm. a story, actually, when we think about our Episcopal tradition and we think about scripture, uh, tradition and reason. I think that leaning into God's grace and thinking about what it means to receive more of God's grace is part of reason. I also think that there's this story of Macarius, one of the desert fathers, uh, and I was trying to find a story of a desert mother, Mm -hmm. uh, but Macarius in particular was a desert father who lived in an abbey and he or or a monastery, I'm sorry. And he had a disciple named named Palladius who told the story of someone giving a gift of grapes. And this gift of grapes, Palladius then gave to Macarius because Macarius was the head of the monastery. And Macarius's response was to give those grapes. Personally, he walked to uh, a very ill monk to give those grapes to the monk because that person was weak. So the idea that this gift of sweetness, this gift of access would be given to the person who was weak and experiencing weakness and suffering um, was what he wanted to do. Now, the rest of the story is that this particular monk then passed it on to someone else that he thought needed it more. The whole story is that eventually those grapes came back to Macarius. So each monk was not thinking as much of himself as he was about someone else that he thought Uh, was suffering more than he was and wanted to pass on this gift of excess, this cornucopia, this gift of grace to another. 
And I guess there's a part of me that thinks about that story and thinks about the meaning of it and the ways in which we incorporate that in our own lives. What are the areas in which we've experienced some type of weakness? What are the ways in which someone else has experienced some type of suffering? And how can we be the bearer of grapes in another person's life, perhaps during this Lent? Maybe it's additional acts of kindness or additional acts of compassion. Maybe it's not so much about what I'm doing internally, even though that practice of thinking through who needs to experience compassion or kindness, and how can I be an emissary of God's grace and receiving more of God's gift of grace? How can I be an emissary of that grace in other people's lives? Maybe that's part of what I need to undergird my Lenten practice this year as well. But I think about that just in the context of all that's happening in our world and wonder if that might be a possibility. Mm, I mean, that is such a powerful question that, you know, I don't think I've really fully asked before when thinking about how I would fast. Um, how can we accept God's grace? Um, I, I just, I don't think I've like heard it framed that way before, um, and it, you know, as you're describing this, you know, it's not about, um, creating these, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's not an obstacle course that you're setting up so that you can prove you can do it. And it's not, um, to create suffering just for suffering's sake, um, just to make you uncomfortable, but as I think about this question that you've brought up, like how can we accept uh, more of God's grace? How can we uh, allow ourselves to be close to God? Um, it seems like maybe abstaining from the things that um, we use to, you know, sort of soothe ourselves or um distract ourselves or, or whatever, you know, removing those things, um, isn't about suffering for no end. I mean, the end is, um, that we're trying to accept more of God's grace that we're trying to, um, be who we really are, um, in some sense. And, yeah, that just strikes me like as a very powerful question to ask before fasting, you know, not um, what's something cool now to do or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what's just um, something that will cause me lots of pain for no end, you know, but it's like, what is something that might be getting in the way um, might be you know, shielding me from, from, you know, potential discomfort, but, but also, um, potential closeness with God and with other people. Yes. Yes. What is that stumbling block in my relationship with God and with other people? I think, yeah, I think that's a really, I like the way you said that. I feel as if that's maybe at the heart of what it means for us to pursue God and to 
let go of certain things or to follow a spiritual practice that allows us to work on a particular area of our life. It isn't just to suffer. It isn't meant for us to just give something up or to have something to share with our friends. Um, but it is about removing those things that are getting in the way of our ability to receive more of God and who God is in our own lives and those stumbling blocks that keep us from being close to other people. Mm -hmm. I like the way you said that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, this is, this really, yeah. I mean, especially that question just um, really sticks with me and really opens this up. Um, but fasting, um, it doesn't even seem like it's, um, you know, it's not, maybe it is spiritual weightlifting. It's not really, I don't think of it as spiritual weightlifting. Um, as much as, you know, trying to get in touch with um, what we really need, what, what gets in the way, what, um, what we've, you know, used um, perhaps even um, good gifts, for example, like very good gifts um, that we've turned into um, distractions. You know, I think about um, in relationships with, with other people, you know, um, what are the distractions or, or barriers that have um, come into um, relationships that prevent us from actually being fully present with someone, um, the sort of pseudo connections um, that, that aren't real or, um, yeah, I think um, there's, a, there's a sense of sobering um, and being able to, um, to cherish the gifts that we have, uh, to recognize what we have as gifts. Um, I wonder if uh, there was ever a, a time that you've experienced fasting or um, maybe just something that you've thought about um, that, that changed for you, uh, something uh, in particular that a fasting experience that um, really changed something for you? Sure. I would say that that period of time when I was in graduate school certainly did change and did change the way I prayed, but also the ways in which I approached God and the ways in which I understood a wider range of cues in my life to pray. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it wasn't just about um, a craving or a desire or a physical desire, it really was about being able to see the news, watch the news, and immediately be cued into pray for a situation. So to see someone suffering and to pray for that suffering, um, to be in a situation where I might be walking somewhere. This actually happened the other day. I was thinking about how cold it was here in Dallas. And there is one man who sleeps near the hospital near where I live um, under a, a bus stop uh, covering. I'm not exactly sure which, what one would call that, but that's where he sleeps regularly. 
And I remember how cold it was and I was out for a walk and I thought, hmm, I wonder if he's there. And I wonder if there's a way to let him, uh, to find a place for him to go or to connect someone to him. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going, in the past, I would pray for him when I would walk by. So just seeing him was a cue, but this seeing him on a regular basis and praying for him on a regular basis actually led me to want to do something about his situation and to be able to get him help so that he wouldn't be outside and freeze to death. So I think that there's a way in which the prayer the way of praying during that period of time started at a micro level and it was about me. And then it became much more macro. And there's a way in which I was able to see bigger issues and think about bigger issues. And even now, when I think about my family's from Pakistan and I think about what's happening in Texas. So I see things that are happening like rolling block, block uh, I'm sorry, rolling blackouts in Pakistan, they're called load shedding. And now they're starting to use that language here. So every time something happens here, that reminds me of what's happening that impacts um, local security and national security in Pakistan, there's a way in which I'm now praying for what's happening there and what's happening in other parts of the world. And so again, those local cues, those cues that are micro cues mm -hmm. become these macro cosmic cues to pray. And I think that that was something that changed for me during that period of time and continues to stay with me. And I'm sure that there are ways in which my prayer life could actually be more expansive. And I think that that's something for me to discern in my relationship with God and in a conversation with a spiritual director and other people. But that's something that I appreciate. And I'm realizing that that was something that changed during that period of time. At this attentiveness to what's right in front of you, yes. Um, this person that you could have just been walking by, and that you were walking by, but uh, a renewed attentiveness to pray for this person, to that that leads to you know a desire to help this person in some way, and also that connects you in solidarity with with people who suffer around the world in different ways. Um, yes. Yes. And I think that there's a way in which when we're unable to do something, when, when we see suffering in the world, or we become aware of it and we can't do something about it immediately. We can always pray. So again, it may not be fasting from food or it may not be giving up something, but there is a way in which we're giving up something of ourselves. I like to think of it as I'm giving up a little bit of myself and my desire to be comfortable in my mind. And overlook suffering to be able to engage with it in such a way that, okay, I cannot remove this person from that situation, but I can pray for that person. If that person's across the world in another place, somewhere else far away, and I'm feeling led to do something about this, but don't know what to do, I can always pray. But maybe that prayer will lead me to some type of action. Maybe God will open a door for me to be able to act in some way that does come alongside of that other person. But that is a first step in that type of, as you said, solidarity with another person suffering. Mm. And I think that's actually the message of Joel 2 and Isaiah 58 passages that we often read on Ash Wednesday, what are the ways in which we become aware of suffering? And then what are the ways in which we're called to come alongside it and to engage with it? Yes, to, to um, accompany um, 
others and their suffering uh, to come alongside. That's a, a great way to describe it. Um, I, I wonder if there's anything else you wanted to share about fasting, um, especially for somebody who uh, might be very new to the practice um, that we haven't been able to talk about yet. I think that just starting in small ways and thinking about at least three options, again, the abstinent fast, the replacement fast, the supplement complement fast, there are different ways in which we can engage, but also for us to think about the reasons why. And even now in the midst of all the things that have been removed from our lives, where can we sharpen our relationship with God? What is that area? And maybe it's praying the Lord's prayer once a day. Maybe it's reading one of the daily offices and engaging in prayer once a day. Um, I personally have enjoyed listening to the daily office from Canterbury Cathedral because there's always a homily of some sort of reflection. And there are ways in which we can incorporate some spiritual practice into our lives that isn't always about removing something, but ultimately it does. It's about giving up a little bit of ourselves to receive something from God that then connects us to other people in a deeper way as well. So I would say choosing something small, maybe a prayer, a prayer that's familiar and incorporating that and being very mindful about it during the day. That's part of what Lectio Divina is, which I know some other people have probably spoken about, to be able to meditate on that prayer and to see the ways in which we see it differently, the ways in which God chooses to change us or the ways in which God can uh, work within us, the Holy Spirit works within us through that prayer. Um, what can we do to incorporate something new into our lives and trust that there will be some type of change or some way in which we're shaped, maybe that's the best mm -hmm. way to say it, mm -hmm. um, that we're shaped in a new way and shaped um, in a way to more fully be present to accepting God's grace to be oriented toward that. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really um, helpful too, for you to describe, you know, the image of God as living water, um, this source of real life that's, that's moving and, transforming and changing and you know, washing away um, that, that, that when we talk about fasting, um, perhaps it is about uh, uh, maybe there are some different kinds of, for, for cheesy reasons, you know, water in our lives, um, different things that we, um, uh, chase after or pursue uh, that's that's not living water uh, that will not give us the life that we are actually searching for. And uh, perhaps in fasting and just choosing something small uh, to focus on giving up or taking on, um, it makes us more attentive to uh, accepting that, that living water, the water that will actually quench our thirst. Yes, very nicely said. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So uh, in closing, if, if you only had one word to describe what this practice means uh, in your life, what would it be? I would say discipline. Discipline. Discipline or maybe formation. Actually, I like the word formation better. Oh, formation. Formation. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, we were talking a little bit about um, shaping and being shaped to receive God's grace. I think that formation might be part of it. The ways in which I'm being formed to understand God more deeply, to understand a little bit more about myself in as much as the Holy Spirit's revealing that, but then also the ways in which I'm formed to be more aligned with others in this world and their experiences. Yeah, that's really beautiful that that, yeah, to be formed in such a way through fasting that you can actually receive this living water and that living water can flow through you um, to others. Yeah, very, very beautiful. And thank you so much for coming to talk with us today. This, these questions and ideas that you brought has certainly opened up a lot for me and um, I'll have to reflect more on this this way that you've described fasting for us and I really appreciate you coming. Thank you so much. <laughs>